as he would have done to a fellow student, for he had not two styles of talking at command. It is true that when he used a Greek or Latin phrase, he always gave the English with scrupulous care. But he would probably have done this in any case. A learned provincial clergyman is accustomed to think of his acquaintances as lords, knights, and other noble and worthy men that con Latin but little. <clears throat> Dorothea was altogether captivated by the wide embrace of this conception. Here was something beyond the shallows of ladies' school literature. Here was a living Bossuet whose work would reconcile complete knowledge with devoted piety. Here was a modern Augustine who united the glories of doctor and saint. The sanctity seemed no less clearly marked than the learning. For when Dorothea was impelled to open her mind on certain themes, which she could speak of to no one whom she had before seen at Tipton, especially on the secondary importance of ecclesiastical forms and articles of belief compared with the spiritual religion, that submergence of self in communion with divine perfection which seemed to her to be expressed in the best Christian books of widely distant ages. She found in Mr. Casaubon a listener who understood her at once, who could assure her of his own agreement with that view when duly tempered with wise conformity and could mention historical examples before unknown to her. He thinks with me, said Dorothea to herself, or rather, he thinks a whole world of which my thought is but a poor two-penny mirror, and his feelings, too, his whole experience. What a lake compared with my little pool. Miss Brooke argued from words to dispositions not less unhesitatingly than other young ladies of her age. Signs are small, measurable things, but interpretations are illimitable. And in girls of sweet, ardent nature, every sign is apt to conjure up wonder, hope, belief vast as a sky and colored by a diffused thimbleful of matter in the shape of knowledge. They are not always too grossly deceived, for Sinbad himself may have fallen by good luck on a true description, and wrong reasoning sometimes lands poor mortals in right conclusions. Starting a long way off the true point and proceeding by loops and zigzags, we now and then arrive just where we ought to be. Because Miss Brooke was hasty in her trust, it is not therefore clear that Mr. Casaubon was unworthy of it. He stayed a little longer than he had intended on a slight pressure of invitation from Mr. Brooke, who offered no bait except his own documents on machine-breaking and rick-burning. Mr. Casabon was called into the library to look at these in a heap, while his host picked up first one and then the other to read aloud from in a skipping and uncertain way, passing from one unfinished passage to another with a, yes, now, uh, but here, and finally pushing them all aside 
to open the journal of his youthful continental travels. Mm, look here, this is all about Greece. <laughs> Romnus, the ruins of Romnus. You are a great Grecian now. I don't know whether you have given much study to the topography. I spent no end of time in making out these things. Helicon, now, here, now. We started the next morning for Parnassus, the double-peaked Parnassus. All this volume is about Greece, you know. <laughs> Mr. Brooke wound up, rubbing his thumb transversely along the edges of the leaves as he held the book forward. Mr. Casselbon made a dignified, though somewhat sad, audience, bowed in the right place, and avoided looking at anything documentary as far as...